0: Uh, Matthew chapter 7, a little bit of a volatile text and uh, before we read it, it's really important for me to give you a a, a nutshell of of how this is laid out. Chapter 5 of the Sermon on the Mount. Chapter 5 is mainly concerned with the character and the righteousness of a person in the Kingdom of God. All right. This character was then translated into the influence that we are to wield as we demonstrate the kingdom way. We're shown the way of the kingdom. We're shown the character that the kingdom calls for. We're shown for a way of announcing and demonstrating the kingdom of God. Chapter 6 is to do with our relationship with God himself and the many ways that that can be expressed. And the final idea of chapter 6, which is going to be the finale of the series next week, is to seek first the kingdom of God. I think there may be a bit of deliberate order to this because it takes excellent character and strong devotion and a strong sense of interest of understanding the interests of the kingdom to be able to properly engage with what Jesus has to say next. If we're not mature Christians, if we don't pursue maturity, if we don't pursue good character, then what we're about to read today can go really pear-shaped really quickly. So, we're going to get into the text. Something that the world knows very, very well. And how do we really engage with this passage? Matthew 7, verse 1. Judge not. Do not judge. Or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. How many people have seen that quoted a lot? I have. In Jesus' setting, the most religious, the Pharisees, had a very bad habit of exalting themselves. There was a a sense of moral superiority, a superiority there, and they were pulling other people down as a result. Luke 18, Jesus carefully crafts a parable, and he does so as a parody of this mindset. It opens like this. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not a sinner like everyone else. For I don't cheat, I don't sin, and I don't commit adultery. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. Great attitude, right? Right? Luke even tells us the reason for telling that story when he did. It says it was for the benefit of some in the crowd who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. The more religious of the day promoted a way where you could work towards essentially moral perfection. You, you had to work your way to a place where you could be the most righteous you could ever be by your own works, do your own effort, your own hard yakker at it. And they had a really, a, a noble intent. You know, we, 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 in church we go, oh, the Pharisees, Pharisees, Pharisees. No, there was a bit of nobility to this. All right, we, we smash them down going, oh, are you religious nuts. And you know, no, 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 there was actually some good things in this. You know, because in their head, the nobility of it was that a critical mass of righteous and morally perfect people might just be a force to reckon with. You know what, you know, like a righteousness of a nation, you know, righteousness exalts a nation. You know, there, there's a really good, you know, there's, there's some good intent here. Bring people up to a level of righteousness that God can do something with. You know, perhaps even then they could be holy enough and they could fight the oppressors and see the kingdom restored by that sort of holy force. There was some nobility in it. But, because it was based on human logic, human power, human endeavour. It was full of cracks and Jesus didn't like the results. These religious folk climbed the top of their perceived righteous mountain and then gloated as others failed to make the climb. They looked down on those that couldn't live as righteous as they did and they enjoyed a lot of power that being religiously and morally better than others seemed to provide. Even today, today, people that rank up highly even in religious circles can actually have a bit of power and they can use that to their own advantage. It's a, you know, power at any circle of society can be a really corrupting force. It's that sort of mindset that I believe Jesus is speaking to here, that he's teaching here. And it's that sort of mindset that does not belong in the kingdom of God. The challenge Jesus gives here is to not judge or condemn. And when we look at the Greek, we get this understanding. Don't call others to question in such a way that they are condemned in your sight. Don't write people off. Don't condemn them. In Luke's account, when we see this sermon spoken, we see the word forgive thrown in as well. The Greek idea of forgetting is to release or to loosen your hold. Isn't that full on that forgiveness is someone did a harm to us and yet we're holding on to it. And forgiveness is us going, okay, I'll let it go. Frozen got it right. Let it go, let it go. Just as retaliation is taken out of our hands, so is the task of passing that sort of judgment. Our position as kingdom people is to not write people off or to come to a place in our thinking where a person no longer has access to the kingdom that we are part of. And believe me, in church circles, I fear, in fact I know, that some segments of the greater community have been subject to that mindset already. We are very familiar with some of this stuff if you've ever heard of any military funerals, celebrity events or anything like that going on and the, the Westboro Baptist people over in America, they're not Baptists like us, trust me. They're not even part of any form of Baptist like that. But this is closer to home than we think. It's not just some American nothing. In my teenage years, I grew up in a church organisation. It was a very, very, very strict order of, of, of Christianity, and you know it was it was um, a very strong thing because of the nature of the people that they were predominantly reaching out to. But then it got a little bit silly. I was told by a Christian leader as a teenager that there were people who were in fact beyond salvation. As in, Jesus has already written people off and so should we because of the sins they were committing. There are some things people do that just God can't do anything more with. No scriptural precedent for that. But a Christian eyeballed me and said that, that God, the grace of Jesus, the work of the cross, has a limit. That movement I was part of did a lot of street preaching, a lot of outreach. No billboards, thankfully. And we, as much as it pains me, I have to include me in this at times as a young, influenced kid, we went to places and did outreach. I sat and observed some of this sometimes and there was no announcing or demonstrating the kingdom going on. There was a lot of pointing out about those who were considered irrevocably nowhere near the kingdom and no offer to to make anything different. When it got to that point, I got out. Not before being part of this for a season. One of my most shameful parts of Christianity, it took me a while to bounce back from that. Because you can walk in a lot of shame if you live like this. James 4.12 tells us there is only one lawgiver, one judge. He alone is the one who is able to save or destroy. That's what the Scriptures tell us. The fact of the matter is, is that we are not the authors of our own righteous standard. We are fellow citizens under God's. And since it is His standard, it's His role to judge. And judgment like that on our part is nothing more than pride and hypocrisy. And we are to relinquish that as kingdom people. We cannot pass judgment on people. Instead, we are to operate in forgiveness, grace, mercy and agape love. But there is that another phenomenon attached to Matthew 7.1. All those celebrity endorsements of the passage all those Facebook posts, all those messages I've received by text. Do not judge me. You can't judge me. It's it's not in your position to judge me. Blah, blah, blah. 99.9% of the time, it's because these people are about to do something unwise. Or they have done something and are trying to justify where they're at. You can't judge me. I'll do what I want. Only God is my judge. If only God is your judge, which is true, that should scare. Why do we write that off? Yep, God's going to... I can only be judged by God. You can't judge me. Yeah, 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 okay. Paul said if we judge ourselves, we will not be judged. There's good reason for that. You do not want to fall into the hands of God's judgment. What's with that? Is shouting a warning or pointing out a hazard or a wrong act in the life of the church, is that judgment... Is that inappropriate? Or are people doing the right thing when we do that? I believe verse 3 and beyond speaks into this. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in someone else's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? How can you say, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye and then you'll be able to see clearly to remove the speck from the other person's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. Who's ever seen a really wild pig? They can be vicious animals. (laughs) Jesus' opening statement tells us that taking a superior stance and writing other people off is not our place. That is judgment. Following that, we have some appropriate measures for personal reflection and the way we come alongside others. Throughout the New Testament, this is called rebuke or correction. In this teaching, Jesus tells a parable. Some scholars call it the parable of foreign bodies. The concept is easy. If you get a foreign body lodged in your eye, it needs to come out because it will become painful and it can lead to complications and even loss of sight. Jesus worked as a carpenter. He probably had some splinters along the way flying to his eye. People that he was speaking to were, you know, were in a relatively blue collar area. They would have known that, that things getting in the eye was part and parcel. You know, if you were out in the field, things could fly in your face. If you are out in a boat, the wind could blow things in your face. If you were in the workshop, for me, riding a push bike in the dusk and getting insects. Awful. Because then you've got to ride a couple of caves before you can find a mirror to get it out. When I worked in the steel industry, we were paranoid about, about um, swarf and, and metal shavings getting in the eye because, oh my goodness, that's painful to get out. The crowd in the first century didn't have quality glass mirrors like we do. So seeing a foreign body needed another set of eyes, another set of hands to help move the problem on. Correction is the act of a believer coming alongside another person engaged in a faith journey and helping along the process of removing foreign objects of sin in our life. Proverbs 25, like an earring of gold or an ornament of fine gold is the rebuke of a wise judge to a listening ear. Psalm 141, let a righteous man strike me, that is a kindness, let him rebuke me, that is oil in my head. My head will not refuse it for my prayer will be against the deeds of the evil doers. 2 Timothy 3 All scripture is God-breathed useful for teaching for rebuking correcting and training in righteousness. Training takes pain sometimes, doesn't it? So that all God's people may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. When a credible fellow believer approaches us and lovingly and discreetly asks about something they see on us, And if they're going, can I help you remove that? Can I help you deal with that? That is biblical correction. If we're seen doing something questionable and someone comes alongside us to ask if we're okay, to ask if we're on track, that's appropriate biblical correction. People have the right to do that. We're a faith community where we're supposed to do that. Dietrich Bonhoeffer once wrote of the importance of meeting together as bringers of the gospel with the idea that I need the gospel in my brother and my brother needs the gospel in me. The church needs each other and there is great comfort in having people watching our back, particularly in the faith. I want to stay faithful in my walk and I'm also very aware of how blind I am to my own shortcomings. Fortunately, I have all of you. We all have each other. There are trustworthy people. And it's great when these people can feel comfortable enough to get around me personally and ask me about the foreign bodies of my life. And if we can't welcome that sort of thing into our life, then our faith walk will wind up shorter or ineffective. Ephesians 5, be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. Hebrews 10, let us consider how we must spur one another on towards love and good deeds. The ordained way in church is to be alongside each other, looking out for each other, watching each other's back and all of us growing forward, loving at all times, correcting when it's needed. And done right, this is appropriate and doesn't slip into the realm of judgment that Jesus wants us to avoid. And that's where the catch in verse 3 comes up here. The height of hypocrisy here is the willingness to point out the foreign objects in the lives of others Without being willing to address our own, sometimes often greater, foreign objects. Think of the visual that Jesus is presenting in this parable. In fact, I'm going to give you a visual. Take off my eye projection. Oh, yeah? hey, brother, your, your family was at my house the other day. Your kid took 20 cents off my table. We've got to do something about that. hey bro, I'm really worried about your lack of self-control lately, mate. You need to really control your temper, man. <laughs> He's the calmest man I know. <laughs> <laughs> Who do I pick on on this one? <laughs> Has to be a single sorry. where your eyes go, man. I saw a girl when I saw your eyes there, you know, come on, man. You know, just dial back, man, hey. <laughs> You're getting the picture. <laughs> what Jesus was calling for here was so different to what was being practised at the time by the religious of the community. The Pharisaic way called for people at the top to ignore their own state and jump on the problems and shortcomings of others. The Pharisaic way dragged a woman into the streets demanding she be stoned right there because she was pushed into the arms of another man. By men who ended up walking away because Jesus made their imperfection clear to them by simply doodling stuff in the dirt. Never mind that it was incredibly rare for that sort of punishment to be handed down. Never mind they were using that situation more to trap Jesus than for any true sense of justice. Never mind they used this vulnerable woman as a plaything for their agenda. The kingdom way calls for acute self-awareness An acute self-examination. It calls for us to change the world around us, starting with the person in the mirror first. It's interesting that the Old Testament, the Lord called for a bronze washing bowl to be added to the furnishings of the tabernacle. It was made from the mirrors of the people and as priests washed before going into the tent of meeting, they would be able to see their own reflection as part of that washing preparation. I've come to believe that self-examination is the first step to changing the world. So where does this correction thing start and stop? Is this for church people only? Can we make any line or, or any distinction here at all? How do we tell the world that their actions and morals are wrong? And if so, how without looking judgmental in the process? If we read this story alone, we don't know, it's not specifically a church thing in what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is speaking in a very public arena. He does later explore um, the idea of correction of church discipline. And in that setting, everything he prescribes as being is about being as restorative as possible in that setting. I do believe that he, because he's speaking on the side of a hill in a very public setting and he's very early in his ministry at the moment that the crowds that have gathered, some are followers, others are inquirers. I think we may be able to read a little bit in broader strokes on that, than that. But the understanding is this, ultimately everyone faces the same final judge and it's not us. The principle of self-examination before opening our mouth can and should be applied both inside and outside the church, I believe. We can't speak into a moral worldview of any kind, whether we're in these walls or outside of it, unless we've looked in our own backyard first. The principle of correction, not judgment, definitely applies. although we do have a lot more of a right to correct within the church than outside of it, I believe. Paul told the church in Corinth to look at it this way. It's not my responsibility to judge outsiders. The NLT puts it this way, but it certainly is your responsibility to judge inside the church who are sinning. And in his context, he was actually writing in the context of a a moral problem going on. I don't know that we can actually speak definitively into the world around us and tell them and and enforce how we live onto them. I don't know that we can, you know, actually, how much we are actually able to really speak into that unless they really want to hear what we have to say. I'm struggling to reconcile that a bit. You know, like we've got Christians that are speaking up and speaking up for the church that sometimes I struggle with. You know, I don't necessarily agree with their approach. I don't know to what extent, I don't believe some, some of the things that are out there that are being said, I don't know if we actually have the right to say that because those people don't want to hear it. Something I'm still trying to work through in my own mind, how far does this go? Does the ACL speak for us? Or if they push the envelope a little bit too far? What I do see in anything, in all our dealings with any person. Let's look at some universal ideas here. Be equal and be real. No matter who we deal with. Present ourselves as equals, both inside and outside the the walls. And that we are all loved by a God who will eventually be our judge. No one can claim to be morally superior or better positioned to judge another. We are all subject to the one standard that God sets. So, to pronounce judgment anywhere is off the table. And when we go, if people are thinking, hey, you're getting judgmental, sometimes they're going, you yeah, know, sometimes because you've touched the nerve. But if we've lovingly gone, you know what, There's a problem, but Jesus can fix that and He wants to draw you into this kingdom that that I'm part of and come and join me in this kingdom rather than you're a sinner and you're never going to make it. I believe we'll be in the right mindset. As believers, we know that the Holy Spirit is within us but we still have the flesh to constantly deal with. The things that the world around us struggles with in the flesh are things that we struggle with too. We need to remember that. It seems that Paul agrees with that too. 1 Corinthians 6, he writes down a detailed list of people who won't inherit the kingdom of God. And there's a sobering reminder at the end of that that we only made it off that list because of Jesus' work, such as some of you were, except for the grace of God. We don't inherit where we stand with God through our own works or our own efforts and neither can the world around us. It's all about what Jesus does for us. And as long as we remember that, we will always stay out of judgment territory. Be equal. Speak to each other as equals. And be real. Transparent people are better received than hypocritical people. True? You can be flawed if you're honest. We've seen it in every social environment. Too many people have walked away from church citing hypocrisy as the reason for their departure. Too many people have rejected the faith because its representatives have taken high moral ground in word without having the lifestyle to back it up. If we want to effectively announce and demonstrate the kingdom, we must be willing to spend time prayerfully looking in our own mirror. We must spend time with other objective, credible believers who know us well. We need to give people with plank-free eyes permission to examine the specks and help us with our own foreign bodies. James 5.16 tells us to confess our faults to one another, pray for each other so that we may be healed. So be real and be equal and know when to walk away. That's what Jesus gets to in our final verse this morning. Don't throw pearls before swine. And this is an inside and outside church thing. There are people, no matter what we do, who will remain hostile to the things of God. No matter how loving or how transparent we are, no matter how non-judgmental we can be, they will still label us as judgmental hypocrites. They'll fight tooth and nail to reject this life of faith that we have to offer. Casting judgment is one thing. You cannot do that. You can't condemn, but you should walk away at that point and go, you know what, I might have to leave you to that. Pray for them behind the scenes that they may come back to their senses. Never write them off. We know and have seen that some in church life will only go so far before getting hostile too. People who are just going, I don't want your pearls, I want to live the way I want to live. Jesus says they will trample your pearls and then they'll tear you to pieces. In other words, they're going to stumble over what you have in your heart and they're going to burn you out in the process. And you'll end up living 100% of their faith life for them. Paul instructs a young man named Timothy about this area. 2 Timothy 4 In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who will judge the living and the dead and in view of his appearing in his kingdom I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Rebuke, correct, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead to suit their own desires they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. In the last days, there will be people who will go, I hear you, but I'm not here. We know some will get offended, sometimes because someone offers genuine loving correction. We know others will want their faith but not want to address any area of change. But Christian or not, as long as they're interested in our pills, we are to keep placing them before those around us. But if there's a point where they don't want to hear it, without judgment, leave it be. And let the righteous judge sort that out in the end. I'm going to wind up about now and I'm going to invite the band up The first song after here, after some personal reflection, is about Lord, I need You, Oh, I need You, and I think it's a really good, it's a well chosen song because it actually looks at us first and it looks at our need first. It looks at what who we are before God and it looks at, at what, the state of our heart. And I think perhaps that's really good strategy right there. Let's ask a few searching questions out of this. First up, what is our attitude towards those around us? Are we accidentally or even intentionally taking moral or spiritual high grounds that we have no right taking? Are we seeing ourselves as better than the next person in any way? Has there been a time recently where you've walked away going, I thank you God, I'm not like that. We're slipping into judgment territory there. Let's look for even the subtle things because it is all subtle. Maybe the Spirit is nudging you going, son, daughter, something you said, something you did, the way you looked at a person the other day, that's a red flag. Maybe you need to address that. Who do we give permission to inspect us for foreign bodies? Is it someone who can see clearly themselves? Sometimes, and I know in my life, given how fast I move, I might need a few inspectors. Have we got a few backups? And do we check our spiritual mirror often as well? Are we spurring somebody on? Have we gone, yep, these things are kind of, I'm thankful that these things are out of my eyes at the moment, but I can, instead of coming at people with this, I've got a little cotton bud and I can help a few other people along the way. I can spur other people on towards love and good deeds. Are you a spurrer? Are you burning yourself out because you are putting your pearls in the wrong direction? If you do that, it will exasperate you, it will burn you out and it will push you towards judgement. Out of your exasperation, you will come to a point where you write that person off and then you do more harm than good. You know, if there's people that you're scattering pearls to right now and it's just not being responded to and you feel like it's being trampled gently back away commit them to the Lord release them to Jesus scatter your pearls elsewhere otherwise you'll get jaded by that one experience and you won't scatter again let me just counsel you with that scatter determine where you need to scatter your pearls friends but let's not slip into that area of judgment You know, there's religious groups that just take the high moral ground after a while and it's dangerous I've been in it. I've seen how how easy it, beca- it is to become that. I've been that judgmental Christian. It's painful when you realise what you've done to someone else by doing that. Let's take it from me. Let's avoid that end. Let's love the world around us. Let's never write anybody off because while we are still drawing air, while Jesus is still yet to return, there is still hope. Let's continually pray for those people and never write anybody off and then we won't slip in a judgement but let's be correcting and look out for each other and spare each other on. Let's let the spirit examine. Let's just close our eyes in prayer.